Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one podcast, a whole load of badass. This week, we meet the chief creative officer of Mr. President. Plus, we talk all things royal wedding, including how to give an amazing wedding speech. And... If you've ever wondered why your car is making that weird squeaking noise, we've got a woman with the answers. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Welcome to Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton. No, Natalie Campbell. She's still off sunning herself somewhere lovely. But we are very lucky because this week we have the fabulous Melanie Eusebi with us. (laughs) (laughs) Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always happy to be here. Yes. Always happy to be here. I love you ladies. It's been a long time, but I'm back. (laughs) Well, tell us, for anyone who doesn't know or who missed you last time you were on the show, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um... Today, I have a portfolio career, but today I am a broadcaster and a business strategist. So I run a bunch of programs and awards programs for women in business and BA Me in business. Fabulous. That's, yeah. That's what we like. That's Thank you like. so much for coming and joining us today. So we are, of course, going to kick off the show with our news segment. And the biggest news, the only news, is, of course, the royal wedding. Emma, did you watch uh, it? Do you know what I did? And I was a bit like, oh, whatever. It's a royal wedding. I mean, I love those two. And I, I love the fact that, you know, Meghan and Harry got together. But I was a bit like, oh, whatever. And actually ended up watching it with a group of people. And I'm so glad I did. It was just it was just a really amazing to watch. It was really emotional. And I just loved the way that Meghan and Harry are shaking up our royal family. <laughs> I, it was impressive. They're shaking up everything, I think. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I get really emotional at a royal wedding in a way that I just don't at my friends' weddings. My friends' weddings, I'm sitting there cynically like marking the date when I think they're going to get divorced. The royal wedding, blubbing like a baby. Oh, yeah. Melanie, did you enjoy it? I love it, but I always, I love pomp and circumstance in general, so <laughs> I'm the one who's sitting by the side of the Thames just waiting for the Queen, waiting for a sight of the Queen going down the Thames, so it, an event like this, it just brings up the best in terms of tradition and ceremony. I love it. Absolutely love it. Did you have any favourite bits? My favorite bits actually were the most personal bits. It was the, the most personal bits in regards to when um, Prince Charles was walking Megan down the aisle and then, you know, Harry says, thanks, Pa. Like those little things, those are the ones that make me really tear up. And I, I tear up at just a glance, really, when there's love in the air. Yeah. I and when it. Charles grabbed uh, Doria's hand, held her hand as they went in to sign the registry, because I really felt for Doria, actually. She made me feel really emotional because I was like, what a, a surreal day it must be where you are really you know just normal person normal upbringing and then there you are suddenly with your daughter marrying into the royal family and you're like standing next to prince charles but also she was by herself and i didn't i didn't want to feel bad for her being by herself because i was like yes independent women but there was a bit of me going oh i feel like i want to like just go just give her a hug yeah come in the family welcome welcome because i really loved her decision to walk herself down the aisle um so i was saying before the show i had a friend who did the same thing many years ago and it really brought back that moment and i was up close to my friend i could see she really had to take a deep breath she had to be really brave to do it and i almost felt the same with megan and she's an actress she's used to being in the spotlight but there's still that moment of suddenly realizing just how big this was and what she's about to do and doing it all by herself i oh 
so proud Amazing. of her. So proud. She has done so much in terms of being an ambassador for the UK and the royal family just by today. Like, you know, I'm just, you know, I am also the chair, full disclosure, I'm the chair of the Black British Business Awards. And we were all laughing, the whole group of us, because that was the most blackety black royal family <laughs> wedding I've ever seen in my life. If I, I have a list of the elements that, you know, you just wouldn't even perhaps catch unless you were somewhat familiar or immersed in black culture yourself. But from the selection of the reverend and the pastor, the choir, the um, the cellist as well, the, the fact that there was more than like two black celebrities, the horse named Tyrone, the fact that Stand By Me is like a civil rights, you know, a call know to that. arms yeah. as well. Like the African chants, the amen at the end. It's honestly, it was just one big plethora of black culture. And I, I absolutely loved it because it was something that everyone can get on board with. Um, we haven't talked about the most important thing, of course, the dress. Yes. Emma. What did you think? I, so <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely mm. loved it. So I loved that boat neck. Beautiful yeah. boat neck. I loved how simple it was. I yeah. loved that she didn't try and go bells and whistles. I loved that it showed off the veil. It showed off the beautiful jewellery she was wearing. Yeah. I was a fan. Mel, what did you think of the dress? It's not my dress. <laughs> But I appreciated it on her. I I thought it, it, the simplicity of it showed her 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 beauty, yeah. her just eternal. Yeah, because she is she is very she is very beautiful. I think personally for me, when she got out of the car, I was definitely like, oh okay, like yeah, like I did. But I I don't know. I just think she is stunningly beautiful. She it, I mean, it doesn't matter what she wears, she does look amazing. But I don't know. I felt like it could have been a little bit. There could have been a, a little bit more, bit more, little bit more detail. Like it was, yeah. it was really plain. But I like the nod to the kind of medievalness. I thought it was a really stylish wedding because that church has a lot of medieval history and like all the um, the wild bouquets, like wildflowers, yes. rather than quite sort of you know really aesthetically pleasing. So it fitted. But um, I mean, yeah, she looks amazing. I'm not going to knock her. It was the veil and tiara that knocked it over for me. Like yeah, that was that absolutely yeah. beautiful. And that special moment when Harry was just adjusting it for her yeah. as well to make it look really pretty. Yeah. Oh, that moment when you pushed her, her veil back and he was like, that's better. Oh. oh. <laughs> but I mean, that's pretty I, much all any of us wanted a man right there. I definitely really? fell in love with Harry about 200 times watching the wedding. What a man. What a man. Harry doing for gingers everywhere what thousands of years of history has not been able to do. <laughs> uh, so that is the royal wedding. The biggest story. We're going to keep talking about it. But some other stuff has been happening this week too. Other stuff. So uh, first thing is the Bank of England. So the Bank of England in the last few years has made a major push around female representation. It has tried really hard in this area. It hasn't always succeeded, but it has tried. And then this week, the deputy CEO, I think it is. Oh, yeah, Ben Broadbent. Ben Broadbent. Deputy Governor of the De Bank of England. Thank you, Madame. Deputy Governor of the Bank of England. Described the current economic situation. What did he say about it, Ems? He said it's in a menopausal phase because it has passed its productive peak. Did you like that? That is lovely, Ben. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> he, he has had to apologise, you know, but it's just the fact that it's being used in that context and the... The subliminal messaging that that perpetuates. Isn't what it? I really want to get out here is actually this myth around the menopause. This myth that the second women hit menopause, that's it. They are. I mean, mm. there's. You know, the reality is we all know that when you hit thirty, everyone then assumes that's it. You're dead to the world. But so when you hit the menopause, that's it. You just aren't seen anymore. You have no value because you cannot have children. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely for a start. We can all now take hormones, so we have the same levels of energy if we so wanted to. But also, there's lots of studies that show that actually menopause, postmenopausal women are in a completely different and more competent, more exciting, more advanced stage of their lives than they were before. Yeah. This linking it with a weakened economy has infuriated me. Infuriated me. <laughs> me too. But I... also, just the wording around the menopause. You know, we've got to change this narrative, haven't we? Like. I... But I don't understand how someone can get paid so much <laughs> to be a spokesperson for the Bank of England and then make such a ridiculous cock-up. Let's but, be honest. I'm going to call that, it a cock-up for a reason. Is it not <laughs> general speech? Is that not a, a business term? Because I'm sure I've heard that used before when something is meant... No? Yeah, but no. We've, we've also no? used slavery before, but that was that, that was a bad thing, and so we stopped doing it. So it just feels like in this era of gender equality, do you not have a speechwriter? Do you not have a yeah. friend? It's a weird term it, to use, right? It's a... 
Don't you have a friend? Do yeah. you not read the papers? Yeah. I just don't understand how we let, we cannot let people get away with being spokespersons for organizations and getting paid accordingly and then doing nonsense like that and then saying that it's an apology. Actually, no, it's not an apology. You messed up. You messed up on the brand of Bank of England and you messed up on your own brand as well. So I'm actually calling for more than an apology. He, there has to be something, some kind of uh, repercussion in terms of this this offshooting of of. of speech i don't know if it's repercussion worthy like if you say something stupid you say i mean heaven knows if we were all fired for saying something stupid i would have been off the air years ago um but if you the reality is what i would really like is an acknowledgement from him an acknowledgement that actually yeah this was tactless stupid and actually not a great metaphor use language better be smarter and it wasn't really an apology he basically explains why he used the term menopausal which was just to describe the state of the economy i was explaining the meaning of the word climate climateric a term used by economic historians to describe a period of low productivity it's not really an apology he's just explaining why he used the term he's not saying like to use a a period of low productivity just say oh it makes absolutely no sense just say we're not as busy as we should be can you not just say that Yeah, the campaign for plain English starts here. <laughs> I'll be the spokesperson for the bank. Uh, so bank of England, not in our not in our top ten this week, uh, but we do like the next story, don't we, Emma? What yeah, is it? We do. So, you ladies, are you? Well, I don't know. Do you buy anything from the brand Misguided? No, I no, haven't I done mean... because you know I'm old. Um, <laughs> but, I pre- but I appreciate what's coming up next. <laughs> so I don't know if you've noticed their advertising though. So for a while they have been using women of all kind of shapes, colours, uh, sizes, uh, and they've taken that one step further. And now they are basically well, they've got this new fashion campaign to redefine skin flaws. So they've picked people out on the street, so people that have had uh, scarring or disfigurement or have got uh, skin ailments like psoriasis. Uh, and they're using them to front their ad campaigns. And I was just like, yes, misguided. This is like, you know, everyone else is is not even catching up with the whole let's show different women of different sizes, you know, they're on it. And they're like going full, you know, just full steam ahead and going, you know what, we're going to show every single um, type of woman that's out there. Apparently the mannequins in their stores also reflect uh, different shapes, sizes and uh, skin ailments. Um and I don't know about what you two thought, but I just thought they were a really leading edge fashion brand and I want to see more fashion brands doing this. I really like it. But what I think is sort of revolutionary about it is that in order to show that, you have to put down the Photoshop. And that's what I would love to see. But they don't use Photoshop. Do. They yeah, say exactly. they don't use Photoshop. So Yes, exactly, my darling, which is in order to show that. So in order to show those skin ailments, most other places would Photoshop them out. And in doing so, they'd also, oh, just Photoshop that bump and, oh, we'll just Photoshop yeah. that waist a little bit. And, oh, we'll just straighten up your face. And in saying, actually, we want to show psoriasis, we want to show scars. What you're really saying is we want to show people just as they are. And isn't that lovely? Who knew that was so radical? Mel, what do you think? I think it's a slippery slope, to be honest. I'm not sure if it really attacks the root of the problem. I think it's great in terms of a symptom, and but consumerism as a whole, like it's going to force us to look at consumerism as a whole and advertising and media as a whole. Like, what are we trying to? What what are we actually? What are these companies trying to do? They're trying to get us to buy things, and do we want to buy into the reality or do we want to buy into a fantasy? And I think that actually, it's a big kind of philosophical question for society. I think we're on the bridge of something really huge here. We start portraying reality in our advertising campaigns, and do we actually want to buy it as much? But but the I think personally, I know how I've been affected from growing up and seeing one dimensional imagery of sizes and you know when you're looking at images like on Instagram it dist- it does distort reality and then you start to judge yourself based on the imagery that you're seeing so for me I think it's super important I think for advertising and fashion um, to be putting out images that that shape our eye and change the way we think about things and I think if we constantly put out over aspirational imagery I think that's really um damaging the vampire strikes back badass women's hour excel on talk radio we are very lucky because in the studio right now we have an advertising legend uh co-founder of mr president one of london's biggest advertising agencies basically championing women in the industry and hopefully therefore changing it laura jb vows hello 
Hi. Hello, welcome. Hello. So Laura, for anyone who doesn't know, tell us a little bit about what you do as someone who runs an advertising agency. What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, we are one of probably London's only independent advertising agencies, um, making lovely work, uh, like really exciting work. But on top of that, uh, I'm also a co-founder of She Says, which is a women's organization that's been going for about 12 years now. Um, M actually was like one of the yeah. pretty much the first. Yeah, you and you and Ali set it up, didn't you? Ten years yeah. ago, and I came to your first event and was just like in awe of your badassery because <laughs> you'd set this. I think people people who who won't have heard of she says ten years ago it was quite a revolutionary thing that you did. You and I mean, tell us a story about how she says started and with you and Ali. Yeah, so I think um, Ali and I were both in charge of our agencies at the time and the hiring and we were seeing amazing people coming through the door but no women and so the question was like where do the women go thank you you know if they are if like 60 percent of women in creative roles you know sort of doing creative courses uh why are there only like 20 or 30 percent of those women actually entering creative careers so we set up what was a very small um group of people, maybe 20 or 30 people, to talk about the issues. And actually what we found from that was the networking and the collaboration and uh, teaching each other new things was actually like, much more powerful than talking about the problem. So, um, yeah, just grew from there. Yeah, and now it's a global network. of How many how many women have like you got 40, in the network now? It's about 43 cities, about 21 countries, and 46,000 women. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And... Over the years that you've been doing it, have you seen more women coming into the industry? And if so, what's changed? Um, we are seeing more women coming into the industry, but it's still, you know, it's very, very slow to change, unfortunately. And you would think something like advertising, it's very creative. Um, you know, you think they're breaking boundaries, what have you, that it would be one of the first industries actually to make a difference. But actually... Uh, we are still at, I don't know, like 11, 12% of creative directors are women, probably 2 or 3% of chief creative officers are women. We're still having problems getting girls into or women into the industry. And then there is a huge deluge of people that leave, unfortunately, when they uh, have families or kids because it's really not a very pleasant industry to work in in terms of, you know, hours and what have you. So... Because yeah. the burnout is really high for oh advertising God. as well. Yeah. And so the, they, they always say that you just leave at around 36, 37, 38. People just leave and then they don't come back. It's like the Hunger Games. Yeah, I mean, this is the interesting <laughs> thing, right? Even uh, put gender to one side for a second. Like there is nobody over the age of like 45 yeah. unless you are a senior executive at a big company where you're kind of cushioned from cushioned from all those long hours so but is that just a requirement of the industry so <laughs> is it just simply that you know we need to creativity strikes whenever creativity strikes so if it strikes at 2am in the morning you need to be in the office at 2am in the morning but you don't need to be in the office i think that's a thing and um something certainly that we've done with mr mr p so we are the board uh three women two guys we're all parents you know that doesn't matter you know it's all kind of very open and very sort of free in terms of people being in the office people not being in the office like treating people like adults you don't need to be there until 2 a.m in the yeah. morning at all it's also advertising is almost a black hole or a black box, though, unfortunately, I think, to the rest of society. So, you know, you don't really if you ask a kid when he's growing up saying, hey, what do you want to do with your life? Very rarely do they say advertising. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, right. Like, it's it actually yeah. suffers from that problem in itself. What what does what do you do? What does a creative director do? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a big issue both with um women in the industry but diversity in general like as a creative person anyone should be able to come in and take that job and yet we're still looking at people's degrees and you know people go through particular sort of channels Networks. to get where yeah nepotism yeah yeah and it's not right laura you're ecd and mr president are you which is executive 
creative yeah. director. Chief creative officer. Sorry. Could you explain what's a day in the life of a chief creative officer to give people who might be listening, who might be interested in the advertising, might be interested in doing a position like you? What, yeah. what, what are you kind of responsible when you're at that level? So because we're quite small, I'm very hands-on still. So I will run pieces of work. I spend a lot of time with clients. I spend quite a lot of time on new business. So like looking at what businesses we want to work with, uh, how we might want to work with them, what have you, kind of going out there making leads and what have you. Um, but most of my time is actually taken on the work with my amazing clients, which is why it's so nice actually to have this little agency where all of our clients are so kind of delightful and good in a way. Like they're all trying to make the world a better place. What's the piece of work you're most proud of? Oh, you know what? It's always a piece of work that you're working on right now. Um, I'm working on an amazing piece of work for Plan right now, the um, the charity, kind of moving them from, well, kind of helping them to establish globally their power as a girls' empowerment um, business, you know, a, a, as well as a, a children's charity. So, yeah, that absolutely... And tell us a bit more about, um, you're always known for starting something. You were a big inspiration for me when I met you, Laura and Ali, in terms of you just set up something and you just ran with it and you were passionate about it and doing yeah. it. You've launched other things. So you've launched the Camp Festival, which um, there's a big advertising festival in Cannes called the Festival of Creativity. Mm-hmm. And you found that it was always the senior leaders who get spent a lot of money. You know, people will pay for them to go on their all-expenses trip, but actually the people doing the work were not going to this yeah. festival. So you launched Cannes and you've launched lots of things. Um, like what? where did you kind of get that initiative from? Like, you know, just starting something having that courage to kind of just put something out was it something that's conscious that you were thinking about or have you just always been like that needs to change and I'm just going to do something I'm going to make it happen yeah I mean I think very much um right from the get-go I've always felt like you need to be the change you know you need to be that person that changes the world because no one else is going to do that for you right so you know at university I set up my own business um, that business was really trying to affect change. The internet happened, which was amazing. You realise that suddenly you have this tool to reach an enormous amount of people and create change there. And I've just really been very, very passionate about the fact that if if not you, then who? Mm. Right? If not, if it's not going to be you that changes the world, then who is it actually going to be? So setting up, she says, is kind of a no-brainer. Can't the same, and always looking at what that next thing is going to be and hopefully with Mr President as well it's a bit of a I guess a light in terms of the goodness of advertising because I think actually advertising to your point Melanie has a really bad rap Mm -hmm. you know people tend to think that it's just to flog people stuff that they don't want and actually you know you can do a lot of uh, a lot of good with it. Yeah, we were actually talking, we had a new uh, story which is about Misguided and they are doing a new ad campaign where they're featuring women who have got, like, f- you know, flaws. They've got skin um, uh, scars oh, yes, and, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then we were talking about, well, Melanie kind of was like, oh, I think advertising should be aspirational, not not that real. Was that what you were saying, Mel? Kind not of really. Like- I think I, what I was saying was that it's a slippery slope that we're going down right now because do I want to buy skincare from someone who doesn't have good skin? Like, like why, why don't we just keep it real on these streets? Mm-hmm. So why, why would I want to see that? Um, I want maybe it is supposed to be aspirational. So it starts to look at kind of consumerism and what we're doing with advertising, what we're trying to get people to do with advertising. It it goes on this philosophical kind of kind of it's a landmine, I think. It's a really big landmine. Laura, what do you think? Can we change people's behavior through advertising? Can we not even bigger than that? Can we change what people find attractive through advertising? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's what advertising is, right? That's the entire point of what we do you know we're very privileged in a way like we have been trained to take very complex things and make them very simple and make them exciting for people to get on board with and that is such a powerful creative tool right for for good and yes for maybe selling skincare but more importantly i think you can can you give us some examples of times when you think that's happened or brands that you think have done it or maybe campaigns that you've worked on that you feel have changed maybe how we view something? Yeah, so I guess um, 
I work with Stonewall at the moment, Amazing. and I absolutely love them. They are the best, best, best people in the world. Um, and Ruth Hunt, if you have not had her on the show, you must because she, oh, she's phenomenal. Oh, sorry, um, dropped a pen. Yeah. But uh, you know, Stonewall have always spoken to the LGBT community and um, roused them. And actually, what they want to do last year and what they want to do for the next five years is really get allies involved but there are so many issues around why people who are supportive of LGBT issues do not become allies you know maybe they think everything's done because legally there is equality or they're a bit worried about what to say and they don't want to upset anyone so they don't say anything you know there are all these kind of barriers to break and so what we're doing with them is actually sort of tackling all of these barriers one at a time of talking to allies and not just in the like London communities but all over the UK and in you know specific communities where there are still a huge amount of LGBT issues you know there's still a lot of prejudice there's still a lot of uh, aggression and sort of trying to change that through I guess I would you know advertising but more than advertising through the way that Stonewall talks as an organization and I think also advertising can start conversations can't it so the thing I always remember in terms of changing people's behaviour with the uh, stop smoking adverts, you know, the really fast, really mm-hmm. early ones where you had sort of hundreds of people turning up and then sort of collapsing in the streets because that's what smoking, you know, smoking kills. And yeah. that ability to get people talking about an issue that otherwise is just seen as, well, this is just what we do. We don't, you know, you pick up a cigarette and you start smoking, I think is an incredible power that the industry has. Yeah, absolutely. But but we got to let's not talk about charities. That's easy. Let's talk about disposable income spend. Let's talk about clothing and makeup and, you know, things that we may not necessarily buy or need to buy. That's where we that's where I'm saying that with the misguided campaign and and just the portrayal of what we find uh, idealism. I think that there we have some philosophical answers. We do. But. But not because of (laughs) advertising, but more so. What do you want to buy? So I have. It's fundamentally basically changing how much I spend on clothes. Because now I can see people who look like me dressing really well. And I'm like, oh, I want a bit of that too. So, Laura, what I put you is, I feel like I am being influenced, possibly by social media, maybe more than advertising. But do you think advertising is going to catch on to that in the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think actually social media is advertising. I think what we think of as advertising is such a like a narrow band of actually what you do in yeah. advertising. So you do social media, you create events, you, uh, you know, anything that helps a brand establish itself in the world really is, is I guess, what I would call advertising. And yeah, absolutely. And in the kind of creative process, I guess, that sounds yeah. very serious, the creative process, in the creative yeah. process, um, do you now sort of start to actively look when you're say casting for an ad or something like that, do you start to actively look for people who look different from the traditional model would you cast people with disfigurements would you cast people uh, of the kind of different sizing how does yeah, that work now absolutely 100% so one of the things I guess it's a core tenant of uh, what we do at Mr P is we really care about showing humanity in all its fullness not uh, not stereotypes and I was so sick in my previous jobs at kind of showing women uh, like the lack of people of colour, the lack of people with disability and I just you know it's just not it's just it's no. not right right? Yeah. So uh, yeah so absolutely with everything that we do now you know and always have done looking for people of all shapes and sizes and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I also think can you, do you have any examples of kind of great campaigns you think that you've been involved in where you've kind of actively gone for something different yeah so I guess um, we work with the body shop a lot globally and you know as part of a global campaign uh, you can't you know you can't have language in there so it's all very visual and we did a really lovely Christmas campaign for them where we went out and we went okay what is something really universal about Christmas and what is something really universal about I guess the human condition it's like you sing in the shower you sing your Christmas carols and so we went out and we found all sorts of different people young, old 
you know, an enormous range of people and we sort of cast them in this ad. So they're singing Jingle Bells together, um, including a really wonderful gay couple who are kind of singing in the, in the bath, which was, for them, you know, sort of quite, although they're very, you know, forward-thinking, I guess, as a piece of film, quite controversial, but they're, you know, making sure that we're just showing as much as possible people being people. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. yeah. Melanie, you're looking... You're looking sort of convinced, but not entirely convinced. I, no, I am. I am convinced. <laughs> I am certainly convinced that, you know, stories, unique stories, unique backgrounds just make for a better creative product. Cause, yeah. And then you really get, you can see the advertising that just really, it, it links to the human spirit and the human condition. And that, you know, it really kind of talks to people. And I had a question for you, actually. Uh -huh. Has there ever been a time where you've been on the side, you know, where you've had to convince clients to kind of push out the boat a little bit in regards to diversity or representation in terms of creative content? You know, they give you a brief, but you have to yeah. say, well, actually, can we widen out that brief a little bit, brother? Yeah, look, it, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen so much now, mm -hmm. but yeah, in the past, absolutely, absolutely. You know, there have been a number of clients, particularly big global clients who are nervous about how they're ad might be portrayed in certain you know countries areas whatever mm -hmm. um but you've got to stand for what you stand for right you've yeah. got to do it so one of the things that i noticed watching the royal wedding and i was watching it on itv today and they didn't have ad breaks for the <laughs> in the wedding but they did afterwards and it was a bit hilarious i mean i have never seen in quotes so many diverse <laughs> ads uh, they had Tiffany's with a kind of black person holding a white person's hand getting engaged. They had, I think it was Nat West, black woman getting married to a white man. They had uh, BT, all different faces. Sizes. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I kind of loved it. Right, I was like, this is actually how all advertising should look. But on the other hand, it was so jammed into this kind of space that it felt unnatural. Yeah. But you know what? I would rather live in a world where it felt unnatural but you were seeing real people than yeah. in a world where people were too nervous about showing real people and so we stick to stereotypes. You know, I think we're right at the very beginning of a really big sea change in terms of advertising and in terms of kind of showing different kinds of people. And of course people are going to get it wrong and of course people are going to jump on the bandwagon but that's kind of okay in a way do you um end up making one version so because a lot of companies right now they're making two or three versions of ads and then de depending on geography or depending on you know just kind of socio-demographic then they're like mm -hmm. okay well we're going to show this shampoo ad with this person here but we're going to show ha shampoo ad kind of in a non-diverse place with this person here yeah, I've, you know. I've noticed that in some advertising. Yeah. I think that Nat West ad you you've seen. I've seen that. I remember seeing that. And apparently, the ad it's quite old, and they bought it back especially yeah. for the wedding. But I, it really bothered me actually because I was like, I looked at that and I thought it looks to me like they've had a very stereotypical white wedding, and I, to me, they just put black characters in there because mm. there were some scenes, and I was like. I don't think the, the mother of the bride would like, I'd, and I was a bit like, this is where people do not get the diversity case, where they're like, we'll just swap in some different looking yeah. people, but we haven't understand the cultural difference, yeah. the different dynamics yeah. in the way that a black family might celebrate the wedding. To me, it just looked like a white family getting married, but with black yeah, hair. And I just thought there, was, there isn't the inclusivity there. They haven't really understood that. And I, I don't know if you got the same thing from that, Harriet, but I was like, that's where, that's the layer that I feel that advertising doesn't always get. Some brands get it, yeah. but it is that like, it's not just about different styles of people. It's about really understanding those cultural differences uh -huh. in the way that people celebrate certain moments yeah. or, or do certain moments. It's and really I think, interesting because I hadn't thought about that. And then looking at it, that's possibly why yeah. that, advert to me felt so yeah kind of jarring yeah 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 yeah, yeah. there's so many times when people say hey mel come and be on my tv show but very rarely do they say hey mel come and be on my radio show and in regards to diversity just because you know you can't tell that mel is black over the radio 
<laughs> so we don't actually need to be that diverse over radio no I've actually yeah, heard that right. you said to my face really? you don't need to be that diverse radio shows because you don't really see the skin colour <gasps> but you do around the conversation I right? do yeah, exactly yeah. about that it's a uniqueness yeah. of experience so yeah. you're right there is a lot so all the work that you're doing is definitely we've progressed but then hey yeah there's yeah. so, much, so much, much more left to do exactly exactly yeah I feel like the, um, you know, when I started working with you, it was very hot on the whole gender conversation. Mm -hmm. And now it's really swiftly moving to a a broader conversation now about diversity. What do you think the industry needs to do to encourage um, different backgrounds? Um, You know, we're trying to tackle gender, but how do we tackle the BMME? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different things. First of all is advertising is not seen as a reputable career to many different families who are maybe not Caucasian and maybe not middle class and they maybe haven't had experience with uh, creativity, you know, in terms of what it can give you as a job. Um, So that is like a big one. Tell me about it. Yeah. In order to to hire diverse people, we need to get diverse people into the industry and that means selling what we do to people and like helping them to understand how amazing creativity can be and getting them to buy into those really positive thoughts around being able to change the world, being able to, you know, have their own voice, being able to, you know, do amazing things through the stuff they produce, not just selling stuff. Um, So that's one thing. Um, You know, there's a bunch of other things as well. I um, last year ran something called the Great British Diversity Experiment, which is the biggest kind of practical experiment in how diverse creative teams you know do or do not make better work and they do <laughs> um but also with a research agency called flamingo that went in there and actually looked at you know why if we know diversity is better does it not happen more often like what are the barriers and you know creativity is really messy and with a diverse team that doesn't have cultural consensus you have a messier team and a lot of the traditional leaders of even, you know, ones that committed to being mentors for the program, who were, you know, that traditional, I would say, alpha male, you know, a generalization, um, they really struggled with diverse teams because they need consensus, they need clarity, they need to be able to kind of rule from the top down. And actually what works with those teams is more what we we were calling kind of clear enablers, which is actually much more again massive generalization much more of a female trait of you know bringing people together and allowing them to find their own voice now that is not traditionally seen as a great leadership quality in advertising. yeah in advertising you know it's top down it's not bottom up Laura in terms of I guess just to summarize what you've been saying about diversity and how the industry is changing if we were thinking in 10 15 20 years time what would you like the advertising industry to look like? Oh, um, I would, first of all, like to uh, experience it as more of a, not just a diverse place in terms of people, but just a more varied place in terms of the kinds of businesses, the kinds of projects that, you know, um, at the moment we have, you know, an enormous amount of hold, well, yeah, holding companies that kind of control a lot of what advertising does around the world. I would like to see that kind of split up and different points of view come in and different ideas. So, you know, I think for me, that would be really exciting and get us to a place where we were doing better work. Fabulous, thank you. Yeah. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, about She Says, or about the work that Mr. President do, and particularly, I think, if there are people who want to get into the industry, where should Absolutely. they be looking? Um you know what? There's a fantastic website called The Dots. And it is a great website. It's amazing. Sign up to The Dots. It, uh, yeah. It's shout general. out to Pip. Yeah, shout out to Pip. She rocks. Uh, yeah, but that is, uh, that's first point of call. Absolutely. Fabulous. Thank yeah. you very much, Laura J.B. Vows from Mr. President. Thank you. Chief Creative Officer. Great title. I love that. I feel like it's just your job to be creative the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, we are going back to the wedding. Still talking wedding. We've got a speech expert. We're going to be analysing speeches. uh, How to give... And also, if you're a woman and you want to give a speech at your own wedding, how to do it and be brilliant at it. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One, two, three, four! To Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton. No Natalie Campbell this week. She's up on holidays, all right for some. But we are lucky because even better, we've got the fabulous Melanie Eusebi. <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but if it was my wedding today, well, I mean, quite frankly, if it was my wedding today, I would not be here. But if it was my wedding today, I would probably be giving a speech because apparently there is a growth in the number of women giving speeches at their weddings. Quite right, too. Uh, in the studio right now with us, we have Heidi Ellett, expert wedding speech writer, who's going to tell us all about how to do it. Heidi, welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Well, a very apt day, isn't yeah, it? Perfect. So, yeah. Good timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> have you been watching the wedding? Yes, of course I have have and loving it I mean I, I think of myself as a bit of a hard cow but I was crying yeah. <laughs> do you I think so Megan's emotional. gonna make a speech today I absolutely hope so I mean surely uh, she seems such a feisty woman I'm sure she's got a lot to say and you know we're right behind brides giving speeches because it just makes sense mm-hmm. and it's actually quite fun so <laughs> like why not yeah. so um so, first of all, we're going to talk a bit about Brian's and his speeches, but I want to know what you thought, because we were all talking about Reverend Michael Curry, the US pastor who gave this incredible sermon, which, I mean, I just, I have to say, I loved the expressions of all the congregation just being like, what is this? <laughs> just amazing. What did you think of it? Well, I loved it for the pure <laughs> entertainment. And you... I mean, we always try and encourage people to have passion. So um, in, sen- in that sense, he had a really good delivery. So, And he didn't lack confidence, did he? So that he was good. Definitely didn't lack confidence. Um, he, um, one, of, one of the things that we say is try and make sure it has an obvious ending coming. Um, so when, when he was trying to wrap it up with let's get you married, I thought that was maybe the end. But it was definitely, you know, it added so much to the wedding in sense of just shaking it up. I don't think the Royal Family seen that much passion in, yeah. <laughs> in a room for a long, long time. Obviously, the Queen still didn't, you know, break into a smile or anything, but we can't expect that. But it, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was really it. good. Melanie, what did you think of it? You know, I think we're probably just so used to it. So I, I was in a minister and training program when I was a child. And so when a pastor says he's about to wrap up, we all know that it's going to be another 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> So I, it just gives me so much jokes because it was it was literally just the, the epitome of black American culture as well, like that black kind of Pentecostal Baptist church culture. He was just, you could even see the just the escalation and then this, the the stories as well. He was almost singing it at some points. He looked like he was going to leap out of my screen, and so and it was just like oh another day at church, great, <laughs> great, good. He, but, but the tweets were amazing. They were just saying look, he is bringing church to the royal family. <laughs> and to the world, really, because everyone was watching it around the planet. I love it. I have it. to say, I am just 
in full adoration of anyone who clearly he was clearly given a time limit time limit and he clearly had a speech that fit to that time limit and you could almost see the moment when he looked up and was like and this is my actually, moment what i've realized it like, millions of people have watched this is never gonna happen again why would yeah. i hold back exactly. <laughs> he went all the way colonialism slavery martin luther king song title references you know he just it was, it was all it over on. the place bring it on heidi do you think is that level of passion what we should all be going for in a wedding speech Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, wedding speeches, you want to include everyone there. You want to bring them along on your journey and you want to tell stories. So the passion's got to get, you know, you've got to have that from the beginning and make sure everyone feels involved in it. But I think, isn't giving a speech at a wedding, is it not one of the most dreaded things? Because you see, on the internet, all these kind of top 10 tips for grooms and best men. Why do we hate it so much? Well, I mean... I obviously run a, an internet-based business, but the internet has killed off good wedding speeches. <laughs> oh, well, like, as soon as a groom or a best man knows they're giving a speech, they head straight on to Google, they Google gags and they Google etiquette. And that basically <laughs> kills off the speech straight away because oh. it, it just becomes a, it, it becomes so clichéd. It becomes either a thank you list or it's just... You, you know, the, the, a list of Google gags. And it, it, some speeches, what I absolutely hate, is when you can go and listen to three speeches that could easily be transferred to the next wedding you go to, minus the names. You know, sometimes you're hearing the same jokes, but it's just the same old cliches about my beautiful bride and my so soulmate. What's, and what's your approach then for... So if a bride... So you, do you specifically focus on brides? Or you kind of do anybody... But We're you have not a fussy. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. We just want to help everyone tell better stories. So and if it was a bride wanting to talk, what, do, what, what's your approach then? Do you like how do you do you try and get a speech that's really authentic to that bride yeah i mean the the way that we sort of pitch it is it's more than a speech you were trying to find your wedding story so it's how you as a couple are different to every other couple out there and you know how do you turn that into a story that's got a star a middle and an end so we really really want to get away from the cliched formula and you know from the first sentence make people feel they're listening to something that's genuinely interesting so many years ago i actually gave a speech at a friend's wedding so her father had died and she didn't want a kind of traditional she didn't want a substitute father of the bride speech she wanted essentially a best man speech but a best woman and i absolutely loved it but the pressure before is immense because it's not just the bride or the groom that's expecting great things from you their entire family all their extended mm. friends all anyone asks you about in the run-up to the speeches so what have you got your speech written what are you going to say is it funny do you think it's funny how are you feeling about it <laughs> have you, how many glasses of champagne have you had it's a lot of pressure how do people manage that well, I mean, before I started Speechy, I actually gave a best woman speech as well. Ah. And despite having written something that I thought was really good and I was looking forward to giving to it, on the day I was still so nervous because, as you say, the majority of people there are strangers to you. Um, and if you're not used to public speaking, then it is, it is really nerve-wracking. So, I mean, in, in terms of public... What we'd advise, obviously, is write something blooming good that you can't wait to deliver, that you know is going to make people laugh. And, you know, in circumstances where you're doing something that is more emotional when someone someone's father's died or something like that, that you know will sort of touch touch their soul and, and, and be important to them without bringing them down at all. Um, you know, these things are important. So you've got to nail that with the writing first but then it's also just a matter of practicing a hell of a lot you know get 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 your iphone out film yourself doing it just get really familiar with the words and sadly the other thing that we advise is no alcohol before you deliver it i know controversial from from a scottish girl um yeah save the booze for afterwards because even you know a couple of glasses can um make you actually more stressed oh can it doesn't make you like i don't know a bit more chilled out and a bit more like you'd think it would take the edge off but actually if you look into it alcohol can increase the stress factor Mm. so um yeah best to avoid it and what are some classic mistakes you see when people are writing their speeches? I mean, there, there's obvious sort of tick box ones where, you know, keep the length 
well below sort of 10 minutes and um, don't <laughs> don't um, give out the thank you gifts. That's something that is death to any speech. It's just really stilted. You, you know, give the thank you gifts to your parents and things beforehand. Um, and again, the thank you list thing. Try and keep the thank yous contained to like the really, really important people. Because if you don't get a thank you yourself, the thank yous are pretty dull. <laughs> um, and a lot of people make the mistake of opening with the thank yous. And actually what you want to have in a speech is a good story. It's all about the stories and the anecdotes and making people laugh and making people think about their own sort of love and relationships with their families and who they love. Oh, you know, it's, it, it's a moment to bring people together. Ladies, what have been some of the best or worst wedding speeches you've heard? I, I remember a really bad best man speech at a friend's wedding and he was so drunk. He didn't know what he was saying and it went on for 45 minutes. <gasps> I think we were at the same wedding. <laughs> and it seriously was a bit like, what? And he was just like, I, I'm surprised no one just told him to shut, sit down and shut up. But it, it's one of those, it becomes this really awkward thing because you're like, <laughs> do we just let him carry on knowing that he will have to stop because just out of sheer exhaustion he's got to stop? Or does... You you know, is it a bigger scene for somebody to go, do you want to stop now? Like, like it all just becomes a bit awkward. No one knows what the etiquette is. So no one said anything and just did lots of like, everyone was like basically laughing inside. But yeah, that was pretty bad, actually. Very oh, bad. That's terrible. Bad behavior. I remember there was Melanie. an open mic once at a wedding that I went to. And so they just opened up the mic. They opened up the floor to anyone who was at the wedding to come and say a few words. But... <laughs> There was no one governing it. And as we saw from Pastor the Reverend today, you can't really do that in a black wedding, like in a speech. So we were there for hours because no one could really shut people down. And more and more people just started lining up at the mic. And it just got so monotonous and dreary and and no one stopped it it just kind of eventually just people started trickling out to the reception area while the speeches were still going on and that's how it actually came to I a do close find oh, sometimes brilliant. you give people a mic it's always the unexpected people that they just suddenly they love the mic and they just can't they can't stop talking and it's it's brilliant because <laughs> we quite like uh, the team at Speechy we've quite like the idea of these spontaneous speeches which seem to be a bit more of a trend but I guess you've got to think about the guests there yeah you have to think about it, and the timing and do you give them a gong and then yeah. if it's Auntie who travelled all the way from Trinidad then really yeah. can you shut her down <laughs> no not really no exactly no. exactly so ooh nightmare That's amazing mm. my worst ever it was awful was uh, the groom giving a speech and he went into the thank yous so he did you know on behalf of my wife and I and everyone went oh lovely and applauded then he went straight into the thank yous and you could see him ticking off his thank you list he got to the thank you of the best man he went into a big rhapsody about what great best what a great best man he'd had and how fantastic the stag do was and then he got to the end and he was like oh thank god I'm done now and he sat down and he looked down his notes and he realised he'd clearly forgotten to mention the bride at any point <gasps> whatsoever <gasps> What? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I was like, you're never going to be allowed to forget oh that for goodness. the next yeah. 50 yeah. years of your married life. That is held against you. Oh, yeah. my God. Maybe these yeah. etiquette guides on the net aren't that bad. <laughs> wow. Basics. Yeah. Basics. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Heidi, tell us a little bit about Speechy itself and what people can use it for and how it can help. Right. Um, yeah, so we basically kicked it off about three years ago. Um, I'd obviously given my own bride speech and I'd written my groom speech too. <laughs> um, and they, they both I seemed to go like down I know well. so much about your marriage dynamics now. <laughs> um, and um, I had been to a few weddings, obviously similar to yourself, where the speeches had been appalling. Um, I had the 45-minute best man and I also had a best man duo who were, again, drunk and they had props. They'd obviously really thought about it. But it just went on forever and it got crude, it got rude and eventually the mother of the bride had to say stop. So it was like properly <laughs> awful. And I thought, I can try and help people here. So we set up this online business and now um, we've got clients sort of around the world um, that we help write good wedding speeches. So we basically speak to them, we have a chat, they fill in questionnaires and we work with them to try and think a bit better um, 
a lot of grooms when we first started speaking to them we'd ask them what do you love about your your um wife to be they'd be like oh she's really nice um, <laughs> oh, she's funny um, and so we were like right we might need to we might need a bit more than this so like go away look at the questionnaire and um it's sort of the fun questions about like what do you argue about and what annoys you about her and things like that that actually can bring out the best bits so that when they're paying a tribute to her, everyone in the room knows that they get her and they value her for who she is, whether or not she's a gobby, ditzy, crazy lunatic or, you know, whoever she is. So it, it's it's working with people to sort of find the best material to work with and help them package it up a bit better. Beautiful, thank you. And if people need that help, where can they find you? Speechy.co.uk. So it's S-P-E-E-C-H-Y. And I also love that your Twitter is at Speechy Speeches. Yes. That is genius. Thank you so much for joining us, Heidi. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. So I have a little something different now. If, like me, you have a weird squeaky noise coming from your car and you don't know what it is and you're slightly <laughs> terrified to take it to the garage and check in case they charge you a thousand pounds, this is the segment for you. We are lucky enough to be joined by Rachel Bonfilio, organizer of the Ladies Car Workshop. Hi, Rachel. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries. Uh, ladies Car Workshop, it are cars for ladies? That's what I have to ask. Are cars for... Yes, they are. But, well, you know. yes, yes. And actually, uh, according to the old DVLA stats, there's uh, almost as many female drivers out there with a full uh, driving licence as there are men. So so why mm. do we know... I? So, let me start again. When I first got my light, when I got my first car, my dad would not give me the keys until he had shown me how to change a tyre and how to check the oil. Yeah, mm-hmm. same here. My yeah. dad made me do that too. I wasn't allowed yeah. out on the road until I knew how to do that. Five minutes down the road, I burst a tyre and called my dad to come <laughs> rescue me. Um, but why is it that women just don't seem to be taught these kind of basics of understanding a car? I think it's one of those things that everyone's so keen to get their licence. Like you get to 17 and you're such an eager beaver, but then you might not have the confidence to say, oh, actually, can can someone teach me how to, to change a tyre? And I, when I was a teenager, I didn't have anybody to show me those things. And then it gets to that point where you get older and older and you have another year of driving and you think, oh, I haven't I haven't asked anybody. Like, I don't know how to check the tyre tire, uh, tread and I don't know what to do if I break down. And then you just get a bit lazy, I think, and you, you have some kind of uh, membership to something. And then you think, oh, if I break down or something happens, I'll just call for help. Um, And there's not enough ladies out there, I think, that have that confidence as well. When you go to garages, when you go uh, get an MOT and have a service and you feel like you're always going to get ripped off. You know, it doesn't matter if you're having like a full service or an interim service. You always feel like someone's probably maybe giving you a higher price than than they would if they were talking to a guy. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And what made you set up this workshop then? How did this come about? What's your kind of background? I had actually a a really bad experience last year where I had some ridiculous car costs coming in. I I broke down on the way to Clapham. Uh, My engine was spewing a load of smoke and and I had this ridiculous farce for the next kind of week or two and my car was held hostage at this garage and I thought, I don't know anything about what's happening. I don't know about the quotes. I don't know if the prices that these guys are giving me are proper or not. And I just didn't have the confidence to say, do you know what, I want to say opinion so I really thought is there anything out there where people are doing anything similar and I looked and there's nothing really out there there's like these 10 week courses where you can pay like three or four hundred quid and you know who has the time to go to something one evening every week and and, you know maybe be halfway towards being a mechanic so (laughs) my idea was basically just have like a two-hour session have a mixture of uh, practical knowledge so uh, the ladies that are coming along are going to learn how to change a tire how to jump start a battery how to check your tire tread that kind of thing and then have I can I want to have like debunking myths you know so for example if you're in a if you're filling up your car with petrol um, should you take out your mobile phone and take a call or text so there's those sorts of myths out there that's that's a myth by the way you could start a fire yeah oh oh, there's gonna be an explosion (laughs) it's absolute nonsense but there's all these things out there so you know I've got a female mechanic I had a bit of a long arduous search to find a female mechanic but I wanted a really positive role model who would just be able to literally answer any any questions that the ladies have and then have this sort of uh, safe space I guess you know so no question is a silly question ask what you like and and the the mechanic I've got will will answer away so that's amazing what 
what are they going to come away knowing? What are going to be some practical things they'll take away? Well, definitely about uh, you know changing a changing a tire. What what uh, you should be should and shouldn't be checking underneath the bonnet. So there's all types of oils in there. There's brake fluids and there's washer fluids and that kind of thing. I don't know how often you're supposed to be changing those things. Um, I don't know about checking tire tread as well. And there's there's sort of tricks you can have with like twenty pence pieces and things. Um, and also you know just like the must haves, what you should have in your glove compartment and. Uh, yeah, just debunking some myths, really. And I also want ladies to have the confidence to be able to go to a garage when they do have a service coming up or, or some repairs and say, OK, the, this I know uh, what spark plug looks like or, or brake pad, so I'm going to have a table as well with all these kind of different objects there just so that you know, you have an idea of what these things actually look like and it's not just something mystical that the guys talk about and you've got no idea what they are. This is brilliant. So, I love yeah. this. How many this. workshops are you going to do? Are you just doing the one or do you feel like you're going to run this? I think I'm going to do quite a few. Yeah, because I had so, I literally I sold out within under a week, actually. And I had so and I, I put it across a few different sort of online groups, but not not as many as I, I was going to. And loads of people have said, oh, they couldn't do that date. But could they do an, Could I do another one? Um, so I'm doing one in a couple of weeks time. And then hopefully I'm going to do a few more in like August and run with it. Um, and I might do like mixed workshops as well. So men could be welcome at some other ones. But for the first couple, I just wanted to have uh, ladies only. I have to say, like my uncle, he's a mechanic, and he taught me all of those things when I was a kid in regards to kind of just brake fluid and things. He tested me before I was able to really drive <laughs> by myself. And I always did feel so much more confident on the road because I knew these things. And, and you don't even realize that. Because on the other hand, let's be, be real. I use a toilet every day. I don't know how my toilet works. And I'm not going to take a course about, you know, plumbing. kind of like plumbing. Yeah. Exactly. Or my computer. I don't know exactly the inside of my computer, but I use it every day and I really love it. But with cars, because they're carrying you, uh, there's something different in regards to safety that I feel like, oh, wait a minute. We should all know these things. Mm. I do it with my bike as well. I have a little bike clinic. And then know all. how do I change my tire? How do I change, the, you know, just keep it up to date and... It's amazing. I feel great. I feel safe. Yeah. And also, I think it's such an interesting point that you made, Rachel, which is just the cost. So I know when I go to take my car to the mechanic and they're like, that's 900 quid. I can't argue it because I have no idea. Mm. Like, is it? Is it not? Could it be half that price somewhere else? Would it be twice the price in another place? Would you have the confidence if someone <laughs> said this is going to cost you eight hundred pounds? Would you have the confidence to say, do you know what? Hang on, I'm going to go and get a second opinion. No, because that, that's I've what you a... need, I think, mm. that confidence. Mm. So I remember when I had, um, I went through a stage of buying cars for less than five hundred quid and racing them across Europe and then keeping them, which Did is you? just stupid. Did I think. Do yeah. Who goes through those phases? <laughs> it was just a phase. Um, but I took one of them to the garage after I brought it back from Europe and uh, they looked at, they, I remember them going to pick it up and them looking at me and being like, uh, so you've been driving this? And I was like, yeah, totally. I'm like, and have you seen any smoke coming from the bonnet? And I was like, well, it was a little the other day, but it was quite cold. So I just thought it was steam. And they were like, yeah, so you're very lucky the car has not exploded on you. And I just didn't, I did not know. I was like, am I lucky? Mm. I don't know. And so... And I feel actually kind of the same, what you're saying, well, I feel a little bit the same about plumbing, about what's going on on my laptop. So I took my laptop to be fixed a while ago and I'm now sort of mildly paranoid that instead of fixing it, they've put something on it. No reason why they would have done, but why do we not teach this stuff at an earlier age? Rachel, what do you think? Should it be in schools? Oh, definitely. Practical skills. I, I wish instead of doing like classics and Latin at school, I had some practical workshops, you know, like how to lay bricks or how to do proper DIY kind of stuff and also you know, like car mechanics. So <laughs> I could do so much. Work. He's like, how to lay bricks? <laughs> like, of all the yeah. practical things, like, I'm going to lay bricks today. Like, I, 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 thought, I thought you were going to go into the car. <laughs> but I was like, how many walls I need to do on my driveway outside my house? So, yeah. How to fix my plumbing? How to lay bricks? Well, actually, that, that's another idea I had. So I want to start off with these classes for, for car mechanics. But I also, if that takes off, I'd like to do some other classes where, you know, l helping ladies again to learn skills in what might be predominantly male male industries. So even if it's just the fuse box goes, like, what do you need What do you need to do? What do you need to check? Or how to rewire a plug? So just those sorts of things, really. Just that, I think that sense of empowerment is really important. And it's really good to be able to do something positive and proactive. Um so if I can do just something and, and contribute in a small way, then I, I'd be happy. Rachel, I'm so I'm so impressed with just your kind of 
get up and go and yeah. I'm just going to sort this out. I yeah. love it. Yeah. If people want to find out about your workshops, where should they be looking? Um, I've set up a, an Instagram page. So if you look for Road to Empowerment and I've also got uh, a website which I'm working on, which will be live in the next couple of weeks. And I've got an Eventbrite page as well for the current workshop. So you can message me through that. And if there's anyone listening that thinks they've got enough demand or enough ladies in a particular area of London that wants to do something similar, get in touch and uh, I'll see if I can get my lady mechanic out and we can do some more in, in different areas. Amazing. And can I yeah, just say what yeah. a genius name Road to Empowerment <laughs> is? Yes. Oh Brilliant. my God. Brilliant. love it. Empowering the ladies one step at a time. Branding <laughs> genius, Sari. Yes. We love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Rachel Bonfilio, I mean, just genius organiser of Road to Empowerment, changing totally how badass. we all learn about our cars. <laughs> this has been Badass Women's Hour's Best Bits. Uh, if you liked it, please do rate, review and subscribe us. We love that. Five stars. Um, or come chat to us on social media. You can find us at Badass Women's Hour HR, at Badass Women's Hour, or come talk to us individually. I'm at Harriet Minter. At Emma Sexton. And at Nat D. Campbell. And we'll be here again next week, same time, same place. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.